It really is a great blessing to be able to come together like this, isn't it? To be able in the freedom and the serenity of this hour on this first day of the week to gather, to do so without fear of harassment from government authorities or otherwise, and just to come together in a peaceful time to sing praise and open the Word of God, encourage one another, and to think about Jesus our Lord and what He did for us. I hope if you have your Bible handy, you'll be turning to a few passages we'll consider tonight. Passages about calling. Now that's a word we use quite a bit, quite frankly, but tonight I hope that we can settle a few issues. This opening slide is one that begins to highlight the following. We'd all agree that words are extraordinarily important. They are things we use to convey information. They're how we speak to one another. We use words. And that's true regardless whether the words are spoken or whether they're written. God has given us as human beings a fantastic capability of a vocabulary and speaking words. In fact, you'll notice on that slide, several passages of the Word of God also comment to this. Didn't Jesus say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? You see, there's something then extraordinarily amazing about our words, and we certainly would wish them to be in tune with the things of God. In 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, we read this statement, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The next thing on that slide, though, is this. We've just used some verses to set in our hearts the importance of words. But I think we're all well aware that there are some words that religious people use in a wrong way. They use it in a confusing way. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who, who is religious, and maybe even passionately so, and they talk about something like predestination, or they talk about something like sanctification? or even baptism, and they use the Word, but they don't use it in a way that's consistent with the teaching of the Bible. That not only is confusing, it can be very hurtful, and it can lead people to a place that's not good. I'd like to suggest to you that another word that fits into that category is a much shorter word than any of them. It's a four-letter word, call, C-A-L-L. As you and I close that slide, let me invite you to study with me tonight about call. How does the Bible use that word? In what way does it use it? And furthermore, what lessons can you and I take from it to help clutter sometimes what is a denominational presentation of that point? This next slide is one that's informational in the sense that it merely sets before us the basics of the word call as the Word of God uses it. Let's start at the top. Maybe you've heard someone say, I was called to be a preacher. Or maybe you speak with someone else and they say, God called me to go and speak to that person. Or God called me such that I would engage in this activity at this moment or this time. Well, that kind of language usage is not all that uncommon. In fact, the Southern Baptists, which of course are a very prominent religious organization, they place an extraordinary emphasis on calling. 
In fact, if you ever have an interest in learning about those who preach in the Southern Baptist denomination, they have to receive two different calls. First, there's an inward call in which they perceive that God specifically and individually is directing them to accept a call to preach. But that's not enough. That same person has to receive an external call from the congregation to which they now intend to preach. There's two different calls then, at least, that that organization expects an individual to not only receive but answer if that person is going to preach for that group. That usage begs some of the following ideas. Would you notice near the bottom of that slide, the number, and it's a rather fantastic one, all throughout the 66 books of the Bible, the word call or some form of it occurs 881 times. That's no small number. 881 occurrences of that word either in Hebrew or Greek in the original languages. And of that number, as you can well tell, 315 of them are in the New Testament. In other words, God has you chosen by His inspiration to use that word very, very often in the nature of the Word of God itself. So tonight we'll have a large number of things to consider, but let me quickly say, I won't read every verse, all 881 of them, wherein that word occurs. We clearly would be here a while. But what I would ask you to do is what you and I will find shortly. The Word does have a number of particular usages that are attached to it. I have chosen to divide the lesson around a Greek lexicon. If you actually look up the word call in this particular Freiburg Greek lexicon, the particular definitions that are presented are the very ones that we're now about to consider and use words and verses in the Bible to help us understand the meaning. Meaning number one. One of the ways the Bible uses this word call is just as you would have expected it. It is used in a way that provides a name to either a thing or a person. In other words, you call something or somebody by it or their name. Well, the Bible uses that word that way. Look at some of these examples. In Genesis 32, verse 28, now remember the actual son that was there under description was a man named Jacob, but God called his name Israel. In other words, God called him by this new name, another name. Isn't it interesting then the word call can sometimes be used in that way? Don't you and I use that word a lot that way when it comes to a little baby? When a father and mother are about to have a baby, or maybe they've just had one, you say, what are you going to call him? What are you going to call her? Meaning, what name are you going to designate with regard to this little baby? Well, that's one of the ways that the Bible uses this word call. And another example in Genesis 32 verse 30, that same idea is presented again with respect again to Jacob and Israel. Look at this other example, though, in Lamentation 2.15. There you recognize that it's a city, and it says God called its name. He was speaking about Jerusalem and it, were, it referred to this city by this designation that God gave it, 
but the word called is used in that place. Maybe one final example in Revelation 1 verse 9. In that last book in the Bible, there you may remember that John was exiled to an island, but it was called Patmos. So in other words, the name by which that island was referred to was called Patmos. I think we're rather familiar then with the idea of using the word call in that way, but I thought that you might notice a few other particular usages in the Bible wherein it is used that same way. In Hosea 1 verse number 6, you may remember that Hosea and his wife had a child and God directed what the name of that child was supposed to be. Call the name Loruma, which means not my people. Notice God called or told Hosea what to call the name of the baby. To that, might we add Luke one fifty nine, As we transition to the New Testament, you might recall that interesting scene wherein John was such that his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, there was an interesting set of events surrounding the birth of John, but the time came when... The little baby was born, and the citizens of the community said, What are you going to call him? Call him John. As you think about that usage, probably that one is not at all unusual. We frequently use the word call that same way today, and the Bible sometimes uses it that exact same way. What about the second way, however, in which the word call is used in the Bible? On other occasions, it is used in terms of an address, in terms of, of a designation. I think, again, we probably are familiar with using the word call in that same way today as well. This is the idea of, of addressing someone, perhaps with a title, maybe with a designation as to who they are or what they might become. As far as some Bible examples of using the word that way, what about Luke 6, verse 46? Jesus on that occasion said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Now think about the word called. There are individuals who would call Jesus Lord, so they call Him that. They identify Him as the Master, as the Anointed One, as the Lord, but they don't do what He says. Why call me that? As another example of that, in Luke 20, verse 44, one more time, the word call is used with respect to Lord in that same way. There it was David. David referred to the one as Lord, calling him Lord. Now notice that's not exactly the same as that first definition. You're not giving the person a name. You're using a title of designation with respect to the person. One final verse, 1 Peter 3, 6. Consider Sarah. In what way did she refer to her husband, Abraham? Well, in that verse it says she called him Lord. Now, you and I might notice from that that here was a wife who, in submission to her husband, referred to him as Lord. Now, not in the same way Jesus is Lord, but identified him as the head of the house, identifying him as the one to whom she was submissive. She called him Lord. As you can begin to see, sometimes the word call in the Bible is used that way as well. Some additional examples might be to note this. 
in Matthew 23, verses 7 and 8. There were those in the Lord's day who were very thrilled and excited to be called Father. Remember, Jesus said, Call no man your Father. You have one Father in a religious sense, and that's God. But in that day, there were some who were referring to themselves and referring to other men as Father. Jesus said, Don't ever do that. Again, you notice the word call is used in that way. As another example, in Acts 7, 59, you remember that stirring scene as Stephen was being stoned to death. He looked up and he saw, of course, the great elements in heaven and he called unto Jesus as Lord. Isn't it interesting? The word calling is thus used in this separate way and we understand well what that certainly is all about. For instance, it wouldn't at all be unusual today if you and I were invited to meet the governor or the president or some other individual, we might call him Mr. President. We might call him Mr. Governor. Now, that's not that that's his name, but that's the designation by which he's identified. So far, these two definitions lead me probably to the most wonderful example of this next one. In Acts eleven twenty six, it's a passage with which we're very familiar, but the inspired writer said, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. By the greatness of the God of heaven, He chose a name by which those who would follow the Lord Jesus Christ would be designated, and the name was Christian. It is not any other name like Episcopalian, Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, you name it. Those aren't found anywhere in the Bible as a designation for a follower of Jesus. But the disciples were called Christians. Now may I say to you that that fulfills Old Testament prophecy. In Isaiah 62, verse number 2, in the Old Testament over seven centuries before it ever happened, God through Isaiah prophesied that when the Gentiles see my righteousness, I will call them by a new name. Now, when you and I appreciate that Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 received that righteousness of God in as much as he was given access to the greatness of the plan of salvation... The time had come for God to give the name. Eight verses later, He did it. The name Christian is not, and I repeat, is not a name of insult. On occasion, you will read articles or you will at least hear someone say, don't you know that the word Christian was given in the first century by enemies of the cross to people as an insult? That is not so. God chose that name. He gave it to the followers of Christ, and we proudly wear it. We wear it because we are identified with Christ. What about a third way the word called is used, in addition to these two? There are times when it is used in the extension of an invitation. Look, for instance, at some of these ideas. In Exodus chapter 2, Verse number 20, a very interesting presentation that's made on that occasion. The text simply reads like this, And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. 
The idea is, you may remember, that Moses had, of course, done something very nice for those women. He had, in fact, drawn water for their camels and their other animals. But you'll notice the daughters didn't invite him. They didn't do anything for him. And their dad said, why didn't you do that? Call him that he may eat bread. Invite him. Extend to him an invitation to come. Isn't it true? We often use that word the same way today. Maybe you're having a get-together, or perhaps family members are coming, and you call them and ask them to come, or you make known the opportunity for them to come. You call them. Sometimes a mother will do that. When the kids are out playing and it gets near supper time, she opens the door and calls them to supper time. We understand that. The Bible also uses that word again in that way. Look at 2 Kings 4.15. There it was the Shunammite woman. And isn't it true that there again the word call is used as an invitation, inviting her and that family to the circumstances of the evening. As you think about using the word call that way, it's true that there are some additional things in the New Testament that are probably worthy of note. In Matthew chapter 15, may I invite you to consider that passage with me? Jesus was telling a particular statement on this occasion. It says, And He called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. When the text says Jesus called the multitude, what did He do to them? That doesn't mean that He gave each one of them an individual name like we noticed in point one. And it doesn't mean that He gave them a designation like Lord in number two. Rather, what that means is He said, Come here and listen to me. He called them. Well, that's the way that word is used in a passage like that one. At this point, might we notice in Matthew 22, 3, it again is used that same way in one of the parables that Jesus taught in which a great supper had been made and it was time to call the guests to come. May I suggest, though, that one directly leads to number four. Another way the word call is used that seems to be slightly different than the one we've just discussed in number three, it's often used of a summons. Maybe you have had a summons to jury duty at some point, or maybe some legal official like an attorney or otherwise has called you to a particular official legal appointment. Well, the word call can be used that way as well. It's somewhat like being given a subpoena. The Bible also uses the idea that way. In Genesis 46, verse 33, early in the Bible... There's a text that rings with power as you and I think about the word call used in this way. Could I invite you to listen to what Joseph had to say? Genesis again, chapter 46, verse number 33. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what is your occupation? Joseph was preparing his brothers. When Pharaoh calls you, this is what you tell him. Now notice, Pharaoh was extending more than just a simple, trivial invitation, an official call to appear before this great and powerful government official. 
to be called. To that we might add this example in Matthew 2, verse number 7. This one found in the New Testament. We have this interesting statement. You might recall that Herod was rather upset about the thought of someone as a rival to his throne. And so that's when he gave the order, you kill all the baby boys, of course, around Jerusalem. But the text said he called the wise men. So they were now such that they had to appear before Herod and give an answer to what it was that they were being asked. Maybe one final example in Acts 4.18. Peter and John were called by the authorities. So they didn't have any liberty to just not come. This was an official summons, and in as much as they were called, they were expected to appear and they had to give an answer for why they hadn't done what the authorities told them to do. To say all of that is to say the word calling can then be used with a bit of liberty. It brings us to number five. This one, I freely confess, is rather unique as far as I can tell. The only time in all the Bible when the word call is used in this way is in 1 Corinthians 7. Let's identify what we mean by this. It's a reference to a person's station in life. What's your calling? I'm a carpenter. What about your calling? I'm a banker. I'm a chef. I'm a mechanic. In other words, it's used with a connection to what one does, either in terms of economic consideration or in terms of one's occupation in life. In 1 Corinthians 7, this is the explicit passage in which that appears that way. In verse number 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou, being, art thou called to being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also he that is called to being free is the Lord's bondman. You can see the idea. The word calling there doesn't mean any of the things we've learned so far tonight in the other definitions, but rather it seems to connect rather carefully to the thought of what one's station in life is. Now we know that because of the context of what Paul goes on to say. Is one free? Then care not for it. Are you a servant? Again, don't try to become free. May I say that it isn't wrong to at least think about using the word that way, though again, as far as I can tell, that's the only place that the word is used that way. Now, if you know of others of those 881 that this one fits in, please let me know. Calling. Look at some of those bottom statements. It would be fair to say, though, rather quickly, that that is not a license to continue in a life of sin. On occasion, you will hear that verse utilized with an attempt to say this. Here's a man living in adultery, but he obeys the gospel, so doesn't that verse teach, I can stay married to this woman, even though it's an adulterous marriage, but doesn't that verse tell me to remain in the same calling? That's not what that means. He's not talking about some sinful lifestyle. One couldn't possibly repent of something and continue in it. 
Romans 6 verse 1. But isn't it so? In James 1.17, we at least need to appreciate this fact. Every talent and every capability and skill that we have is due to the blessing of God. And so we would thus desire to employ it to His service and for the glory of His kingdom. To use the word calling that way would certainly be a very appropriate thing. And it brings us to number six. Yet another way the word called is used. There are many verses wherein it's attached to a task or an appointment. And quite frankly, this one relates to a commandment in many, many cases. For example, in Genesis 22, verse number 11, you remember that Abraham had taken his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah because God had said, offer him as a sacrifice. And yet, when he got there and bound his son, God saw the truthfulness and the faith of Abraham and God stayed His hand, and in so doing, the word call is used with respect to the activities, the commandment given to Abraham, the commandment as it related to his activities. Another example would be Leviticus 1, verse number 1. The priests, those of the tribe of Levi, their calling related to what God commanded them, offering burnt offerings, meat offerings, sin offerings, and the others. But the word call is used even in that context. Now might we remember, it wasn't merely an option. The Levites couldn't merely choose not to offer this. It was a commandment. Well, so it is. The word call is used on many other occasions like this. In Hebrews 5 verse 4, they of Levi were called to the priesthood. Notice, they couldn't just say, well, I think I'll become a priest. That was not your option. If you were a baby boy reared in the, in the tribe of Levi, you knew from the time you could know anything that you were going to serve as a priest. As long again as your body permitted it, and you were not such that you were ceremonially unclean for some reason, God expected you, commanded you, ordered you to serve as a priest. To that we might add this. In 2 Thessalonians 1.11, God calls every one of us in the following way. The text uses the word call, and every one of us as Christians are called to faithfulness. Now notice, God in essence asserts that to you and me. He doesn't leave it to my particular choice. But as we strive to love the Lord, we will certainly want to do what pleases Him. And in so doing, we'll live this life that otherwise is described in soberness, righteousness, godliness, and that which pleases our Heavenly Father. One final thing about using call this way. Would you please note this? Let me interject the following. So far, have we seen anything that seems to harmonize with those ideas I mentioned at the outset of the lesson? This inward call, external call, this Southern Baptist idea, may I suggest not a thing. They have taken this idea and used it, redefined it, attempting to employ it in a way which is inconsistent with the Word of God. There's one more to go. Number seven. Let's insert that one. 
There are many instances, and this was the lesson text that Brother Dennis read a minute ago. You noticed that word in Acts 2.21, didn't you? Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now the word call as it's used in that verse is not like any of the six we've learned so far. That's because it falls in this latter category. What does it mean to employ the word call that way? Let's develop that in some detail, beginning with the following observations. One of the things we, you and I know is that nobody can approach unto God uninvited, unholy, and unequipped to enter the presence of the holy God of heaven. For after all, isn't it true in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, He is holy and He's infinite. He's almighty. He is awesome. And as such, he is, he is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, Habakkuk 1.13. The psalmist declared in Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5, No flesh unholy can come in His presence. Now what that means to you and me is we can't just choose to go before Him. We have to be called to enter His presence. No wonder then in 1 Timothy 2.4, there was a time when God made plans such that all would have the opportunity to come in His presence. Isn't it therein said in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 that God would have all men to be saved and to come into a knowledge of the truth? And in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, do we not read this? The sweet statement, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. But as long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God would wish everybody to come to repentance and to be saved. In that sense, God has extended a call to every member of the human family. But there's an interesting thought to be noted. Just because God has extended the call, does that mean every man and every woman will answer that call? Let's read further. Inasmuch as God calls all, men, all people to salvation, that does not mean that everybody's going to be saved. In Luke 13, Jesus was asked this question, Lord, who shall be saved? Jesus said, few. That's His word, not mine. Few. The vast majority have always been lost. And it'll be that way at the day of judgment. But God called everybody. How can this be? There are two things to be noted. Not only must God call us to salvation, we have to answer His call. And not everybody's going to answer it in the way in which it must be answered. For example, look at this. To call on the name of God, like that verse just said a minute ago, this would be a good time to notice with some detail. Didn't that verse just say, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that simply mean I can say, Lord, Lord, and expect Him to save me? We know that's not what that means. I know that because of what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Would you recall the statement with me? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, 
but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I say unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But God called them. But they never answered His call because Jesus said, I never knew you. May we again appreciate not only must God call us, we must answer that call. And so it is. In 2 Thessalonians 2.14, we have a powerful passage. I would ask you to note it with care. How does God call us? That's the reason this is so profound. Does He call by nature? Does He call in small, still voices in the night? Does He call in visions and in dreams? Does He call by influences and associations with others? I don't doubt some of those things may have influences on you and me, but Paul answered our question when he said, The God of heaven calls by the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that calls you and me. We shouldn't expect Him to come to us in a dream, a vision, a small voice, some thought or intent in the heart. It doesn't happen that way. As you can begin to see, the Bible never uses the word call in the way that some in our denominational world today seemingly overwhelmingly prefer to use it. It's never used in those ways. It is used in these ways we've learned, but let's add this. I find it very intriguing that not only does God call us through the gospel, look at Hebrews 3 verse 1. You and I have to answer that call. We do it as we obey the gospel. Look at the way this is expressed and look at the way the wording is presented. Near the beginning of the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer said, Wherefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling. Did you notice the language? God called, but you and I are partakers of it, meaning we've accepted it and we've answered it. It's not that God merely called, we answered that call. And to that might we add 2 Peter 1 verse number 10. Make your calling and election sure. Now those are words that you and I often consider. We must so conduct our life, living in faithfulness, living in righteousness, that our calling is sure. What does that mean? That means my name's in the Lamb's book of life. I have answered the call of God in obedience to the gospel. We know that because of what's on the next slide. There's a dramatic portrait given to you and me in Acts chapter 2. Would you notice the way in which it's presented? There was a large group, of course, gathered on that day. Peter and the others stood up and began to preach in Acts 2, verse 14. As they preached, you'll notice in verse number 21, the lesson text of our study tonight appeared, Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May I ask, what did those people do in calling on the name of God? Well, the time came, Peter ended the sermon. And when he did, verse number 37, they were pricked in their heart, the text says. And they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? So calling on the name of God required them to do something. Peter replied, 
repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Isn't it interesting that this same passage, Acts 2.21, occurs later in Romans 10.13. There, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but look at how it finishes. How shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they've not heard? Calling clearly requires belief. It requires these other things we saw manifested in Acts chapter 2. But maybe nobody stated it any more clearly than what Ananias told Saul, later quoted in Acts 22.16. Let's piece that together and come near the close of our lesson. You may recall that Saul on the road to Damascus had seen a bright light. For three days that man was blind, unable to see, had to be led by hand. But he went on into the city of Damascus, and when there Ananias, by order of God, came to him. And this is what he told him. And now Saul, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There's our word. How was Saul going to call on God? How was he going to call on the name of the Lord? The text said in baptism, we've nearly pieced together the fullness of God's plan of salvation. When a person answers the call of God, they do so by obeying the gospel. Belief, repentance, confession, baptism. And as you answer that call, look at how this slide ends. The New Testament gives a very special name of designation to people who have obeyed the gospel. Maybe we haven't ever noticed this as clearly as we might, but it seems pertinent in a lesson like this one. Have you ever noticed passages like James 2 verse 7? What is it that's said about Christians in that verse? James chapter 2 verse number 7. Now remember, we're asking about the designation, the thing that's used to refer to you and me. The text reads like this. Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? As Christians, you and I are called something. Now maybe the world calls us insults, and maybe they call us rather ugly, blasphemous names. But that text refers, there's a designation by which you and I are known. Now we know why that's so. We have answered the call of God by obeying the gospel, and as such, we are called the called. Look at another example. In Jude, verse number 1, maybe no place makes it any plainer than this one. It's the last word in that verse. But isn't it fascinating? Jude 1 let me read the entirety of that verse. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. You're the called. I'm the called. We can rightfully be called that because we answered the call of God and we did so and thus became His called. Maybe one final example. Revelation 19.9, 9. 
when you and I studied the Revelation a few months ago, we appreciated the setting of that passage. It's that blessed marriage supper of the Lamb. And we agreed we all wanted to be present. But isn't it sweet how it's described? And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, it's true. God has extended the call to all mankind, but not all mankind are going to answer it. You and I have. We look forward to being able to sit down in a proverbial way at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. The devil and all of his henchmen will be gone. All of evil will be no more. We will enjoy the pristine peacefulness and the grandeur of heaven forevermore. We're the called. I hope our study tonight about calling has been beneficial. I hope it's been interesting. 881 occurrences of that word in the Bible. We found seven distinct definitions or distinct ways in which that word can be used. And as we've studied all of them, we found it has a great deal of meaning with respect to Christianity. Tonight, may we say, God has called all of us. We sometimes sing a song, God is calling the prodigal. Well, He is. The message of the cross continues to be that faithful presentation of God's call. Do you need to respond in faith to it tonight? Do you need to answer the call? If you have, may you live faithfully until death. If you've never answered it, though, why not tonight? You do it as we've learned tonight, as you obey the gospel in belief, repentance, confession, baptism. If you've become a Christian, though, and you've lost sight of the calling, maybe that word doesn't suit you anymore because you don't live in accordance to the calling. May I say, in Ephesians 4.1, we're admonished to live according to the vocation that we have been called. If you haven't lived up to that vocation, why not ask for prayers of brethren? Make confession, repent of those things, We'll be honored to pray to God on your behalf tonight if you once again answer the great call of God. This song of encouragement has been selected. If at this moment we could be of help to anyone, we encourage and invite you to come to the calling of God while together we stand and while we sing.